0: Everybody. Welcome to Activism and Revival. I'm Kelly. And this is Ashley. And you already know why we're here. We're here to... Mobilize the Christian church to
1: create dialogue, awareness, and solutions for social change and justice.
0: And we have an exciting podcast today. And our girl Ashley here is going to head it out. And we are going to get right on into it. Ashley, what are we talking about today? Today
1: we are talking about foster care,
0: adoption,
1: adoption mm, agencies. Some
0: scandals. Oh, This
1: is... Um, what is so near and dear to my heart um, I, I am a third generation foster parent um, my grandmother started fostering over 35 years ago wow. started the first child placement agency in Colorado um, started by a black Ooh. grandmother my, my grandmother and so when I was in middle school I don't even know black people in Colorado well you know you know my parents <laughs> there are black people in Colorado we are there it's a lot of them definitely since they legalized marijuana there's a whole lot of black oh my people. goodness oh <laughs> anyways that's a different topic for a different day but yeah my grandmother um actually started doing loose I, I say foster care but it was not foster care when she lived in Omaha she was noticing that there were kids that did not have they, their parents were not, you know, able to take care of them. Good mm. parents, but they weren't able to take care of them. So my grandmother would open up her home. She would feed the kids. They would stay the night. She would sometimes, you know, they were residing at my grandmother's house until somebody was like, have you ever thought about being a foster parent? And she was like, wait, there's a system around this? Like, I've been doing this for a while. Like, my house wow. has always been open. So then my grandmother became an actual foster parent. And then when she moved to Colorado, she was still fostering, started her uh, foster care agency and um i was her first employee okay i was her secretary i used to answer the phones D-A-A-C-C. um so i just that is what that is the memories that i have um pertaining to my grandmother and kind of the foundation that she set in terms of this is what we do we open up our homes and we open up our hearts to children that that don't um, that don't have that system of support in really uncommon places nebraska and colorado okay <laughs> So, Kelly, tell us a little bit about your experience with uh, children in
0: foster care. Honestly, the most—my first experience with someone in foster care, I was actually in high school, and one of my girlfriends, Renita— um i realized that she always had like a different phone number and every time like every couple months like she lived somewhere different but i didn't i didn't know because we knew her father Mm -hmm. and like sometimes her dad would come to school bring her sneakers or lunch money or something like that but she was in foster care and it wasn't until like i got out of high school that i realized like renita like who why did you always move so much she was like oh that's my foster mother and i was like what is that Mm -hmm. and And I honestly was completely ignorant and blind to it, and I think um, it wasn't until I became a part of, you know, we started, we planted our church, that a lot of people in our church started, you know, adopting and fostering, and then um, also working for um, social services and stuff like that, but um, as long, also like in my work with human trafficking, um, a lot of women in Mona's group were foster children. Like if anybody has ever, watched um the mona's house video on uh, project mona's um the woman mahogany she was trafficked right out of foster care yeah yeah and there's actually a
1: statistic that shows like 70 to 80 percent of people that are human trafficked period are mm-hmm. former foster children
0: yeah. um, and
1: then 90 percent of people that are on death row were fo- former foster children
0: Wow. Yeah. I know yes. that when we teach like um the most vulnerable populations in the United States, mm-hmm. the number one vulnerable population, um, are foster children and runaways. Yep. So that's why we try to make sure that we educate foster parents and we educate um anybody that works in the school system, grades seven through twelve, to say, Listen, like these are some things that you really need to watch out for because right. if you have foster children, um, in your um, in your classes, they are really high risk population to be trafficked, so yeah. So let me throw some statistics at you guys. The
1: United States has almost half a million children that are in foster care. Almost half a million. Um, About 123,000 of those are waiting to be adopted. Um, Children enter foster care for several different reasons. Abuse. um, We're talking about sexual. We're talking about physical abuse. neglect. Um you hardly ever hear if ever a child entering foster care for emotional abuse even though emotional abuse is typically tacked on to those other types of Mm -hmm. abuse um we know that 7.3 million americans are trapped in the criminal justice system and so that means that parents that that we have about 1.4 million children um in the united states that have a parent that's incarcerated and so when we start talking about um, the, the criminalization of, of black people, when we start talking about overpopulated jails. Um, you can't really talk about that with, without realizing the effect that it has on on children. Um, anytime somebody experiences and this is why sometimes I, I think it's very interesting how people talk about trauma because family separation is traumatic. Yeah. Like that is a form of trauma. And so, I say 100% of children in foster care are traumatized. 100% of them are traumatized. Having a police officer come to your house and remove you from home is a traumatic experience within itself. Um,
0: are they allowed to take anything? I know um, I've heard a lot of people talk about that plastic bag.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, they are. They're they're allowed to, you know, to, and it, it depends. It depends. Um, there are some cities and some counties that have refrained from using police officers to go and remove because they're not a lot of them are not trauma informed they're not trained and so when you have a police officer just go and pick up a child that is scary and it sends a message to the child that they've done something wrong like yeah. the police is coming to pick me up a social worker should be the one going to do that and so there are some counties that have actually for, I, I know for sure Tulsa um, they try their hardest not to, uh, to have police officers do that and um, And so, yeah, when a child is picked up from their home, they are allowed to, you know, get their teddy bear, a few outfits or whatever, but they don't have time to pack up their entire room, you know? And so when you hear about the plastic bag, um, That typically is talked about when a child is moved from place to place. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you'll see a lot of initiatives that raise money to get, like, a a suitcase for kids so they don't have to put their things in trash bags. Um, I've I've definitely helped kids pack up their stuff. When I worked at a shelter in Tulsa, I remember bawling my eyes out, helping a little, a, a boy, he was turning 18, he was packing up his stuff, and he was putting them in a trash bag. And on his 18th birthday, he was headed to an adult shelter. And he started acting out and I mean, he was punching walls and just acting out day to day moving up to, you know, his 18th birthday. And I remember pulling him aside. I'm like, bro, what's going on? Like, You can talk to me. And he was just like, Miss Ashley, I'm scared. Like in a week, I don't know where I'm gonna live, and nobody's listening to me, and I'm 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 getting really anxious, Um, and so that is scary. That's what made you open up Mona's, um, Mona's house, (laughs) Manas house. It is, it is. So I worked and I worked. um, There was a time that I was working, (laughs) like a Hebrew slate. Like I had like four jobs, and so um, one of those jobs was at a shelter. The other one was actually um, at a transitional living home, Mm -hmm. and I realized that there was a huge gap like I was working in a shelter where kids had to ask to open the refrigerator they had to ask to use the restroom they never did their own laundry they were institutionalized and on 18th birthday if they're put into like this independent living program now they're expected to be adults and so I was like wait when when were they ever prepared for this moment they were never prepared for it you yeah. guys. they would get on punishment if they went in the refrigerator you know and now they live in an apartment and they don't know how to work the dishwasher I remember I had a girl move into Manor House and she almost ruined my dishwasher because she didn't know how to use it. Did
0: she put dishwashing liquid yeah, in it? Yes, she did. Oh, that guy's so good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she did. But I've had girls come into Manor House and they didn't know how to use the washing machine and the dryer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are things that people have to learn. Like our parents taught us those things. And I know on my 18th birthday, my mom was not like deuces. Like yeah. goodbye. Um, and so that's really what brought about that heart was working at that shelter. I I don't know how many times I left work in tears because I was like, this is so, this is so unjust. This is so wrong. I mean, these kids are treated as if they're just expect to know something that nobody's ever taught them. And their consequences for not knowing are, those are not little consequences. Mm. You know what I mean? When you turn 18 and you've never been taught you know, certain things and you go out and you try to figure that out on your own. Like, that's not a, you don't have, you have no safety net. Absolutely. You have no safety net. Um, and so that is where my heart really started to to grow to to start Mana House. Mm-hmm. Um, but this population is when when and it's funny because people joke around and stuff because like as soon as Ashley identifies somebody's in foster care, you know, yeah. her she just she turns into a different person. I know I was there, in my time. <laughs> and I do, I do. Um, for me, this is the most vulnerable population, and I think that they need so much love. Um, we see all throughout scripture where Christ constantly talks about two different populations a lot, and it's the orphan and the widow. Um, and I believe that that is because, um, those are two populations that are missing the, the covering, you know, the the widow is missing her husband, mm-hmm. um, you know, who, who is, uh, her provider, you yeah. know, and then the orphan, they're missing their parents mm. who are their provider. Um, but then Christ brings also a solution to that because He says, "Well, I'm Abba Father for the orphan." Mm-hmm. And then we, when, when the moment that we come into salvation, we are now part of the uh, we are, we're part of the Bride of Christ. Yeah. And so um, that is that is definitely um, something that that I'm I'm learning. Um, and this is a population that is super duper near to my heart. Um, I wanted to give you guys just a quick, quick, quick history lesson, real quick, okay. about child welfare. Um, it wasn't until after the Industrial Revolution that there was an increased demand for labor workers. And so the, uh, the major cities like New York City became extremely overpopulated, which impacted the standard of living. And so through this, we've seen that there was a man by the name of Charles Brantz that started the orphan trains. And, I'm, and the reason I'm saying this is because we're going to start to see that a lot of times our work as Christians, we really try, we're really trying to do something. Helpful, um, that might be a little bit more harmful than it is helpful. And so, Charles Brantz was a Catholic man, and he started um, advertising these kids um, and, and sending them west on orphan trains. And these children that were selected for the orphan trains were considered orphans, homeless, abandoned. Um, they were they were neglected however hardly any of them were actual legitimate orphans and so this is what we were just talking about kelly when we were talking about children that are put up for adoption or experience international adoptions there are several cases reported documented cases that these children they were not orphans they have parents that are alive like
0: specifically international is that what you're talking about
1: well, well, yeah, we see that a lot internationally. But what I'm saying is that this isn't new because we were seeing this around the Industrial Revolution, uh, Revolution in the 1800s, that we were putting kids on orphan trains and sending them from New York City to West. Um, and these were poor kids that were not orphaned uh, just so that they can have a better quality of life. Right. And so um, I always say that I do not believe that poverty disqualifies someone um, for being a good parent. And so once the children arrived, then the re- the residents would come in and they would begin to look over these children to choose which one they wanted to live with them.
0: That's crazy,
1: um, Kelly. Where do you see that happening here?
0: In human trafficking.
1: And not e- in human trafficking, <laughs> right? But also adoption parties. Have you ever been to an adoption party?
0: No, I actually never heard of an adoption
1: party before. So I remember dressing, getting one of my foster daughters, she was 15 years old, and she had no desire to be fo- uh, to be adopted, she wanted to stay with me, um, but because of the placement, her worker was like, I have to at least make attempts to get her adopted. And so this is a, like, and this little girl was like very tomboyish, right? And so her worker's like, you need to get dressed, put on a dress, get ready, you know, we're having an adoption party. Literally, an adoption party is where you take all the kids whose parents' rights have been terminated. They go to this party, and people who are looking for adop- to adopt children, they come in,
0: and it's an adoption party. And you can potentially meet your new parents there. So, I used to work at a humane society for dogs, and we did that there.
1: It's very similar, right? I remember, yeah, you go to...
0: What are they called? Um, kennels. Like you go where all the, kids, uh, the all the dogs are mm-hmm. and you walk around. And then you're like, oh, I want to meet this dog. Or I want to mm-hmm. meet this dog. Or let me play with this dog to get to know it. See if this dog likes me. See if we, we mesh and, and all that other stuff. Yep. That, that is crazy.
1: Yep. Me. So that, that that's what was happening on these orphan trains. So you're coming from New York City. You're being sent west. And then once I get there, you know, people are going around and they're looking. Kind of shopping for me to see if they want to add me. Question. Black kids were not allowed on the orphan trains
0: and neither were disabled. And that's probably why, because they, weren't, they were not desirable? not desirable at that, at that, at that time. Um, question. So what did the parents think that the children were going to?
1: Now, I don't know. I'm not, I am not sure. Um, I, now, what I do know recently, um, some of the adoption scandals that have happened overseas A lot of their parents thought that their children were coming to school in in America.
0: Yeah, so that is something that I speak to because that is a form of trafficking um, that we identify and we teach against. I normally don't really teach that much about it in the United States, but if you have Netflix, go to this um, documentary. It's it's an entire series, and it's called The Traffickers, and um, and this girl I'm going to bring to our city in 2020 um, to talk about um, all the different things that she said that she sees, she, she works on, uh, trafficking cases of um, animals, um, organs, gold, everything. But she did this one episode and it's called the dark side of adoption. And it says this, it says starting with adoptive families in the United States, heady it. Examines the global adoption market, whose corrupt tactics can lead to cruel tri- child trafficking. And so, basically, it's these innocent families in the United States who really think that they're adopting a child overseas that has no parents, an orphan, right? And then when they get over there, she tracked everything down to like these bootleg orphanages. Found out that these were families that were that thought that their children were um, being. Uh, Blessed with free education, mm. and that the children will return. And, I mean, like, the children were missing. They were never, I mean, it was, you could hear these, these mothers cry, like, I want my baby back. I thought that you guys were just going to educate them. And wasn't
1: there a woman in the village that the adoption agency had pretty much hired to help? Yeah, never, yeah, like, yeah. The mat, like, I don't know what they were calling yeah. her, but she was super corrupt. Yeah. She was hired by the adoption agency yes. to talk these moms into signing over. And then they were, then they were falsifying death Docu- certificates. Yes. Yes. I watched yes. that one. Oh I watched goodness.
0: it. Yeah, yeah, I just watched that this year for the first time, and I just wept. I'm just, I just wept. And the fact is that unless you go over there, you don't really know. And so you have all these parents. Not, and I, I always wonder, like, if it's all these children in foster care in the United States, why do you have to go to another country unless God specifically told you? Why do you have to go to another country and and adopt a child and then um and then Realize that there's a there's a probability, there's a chance that this child might have parents who are waiting for them to come back one day, mm-hmm. and so um, they have like I don't know if you remember there were instances in that documentary where these children came over with parent with pictures and letters from their mm-hmm. parent, and then yeah. the new adopted parents are feeling some kind of way because they're like, wait, I thought I was a parent, but mm-hmm. you actually have a mom. Yeah. So I think in those moments, that's when they are supposed to speak up. Mm hmm. Because it's a mom thinking that her child is coming back home.
1: Yeah, and that and that would be hard. Like, what would you do if you raised a child for 10 years, let's say, and that's your child, and then you find out that their mom is alive over in Ethiopia? Waiting for them to come back. Waiting for them to come back and distraught that they have not come back.
0: I would have to give my child up. I would. Because, yeah. technically, it's not really it's not, not your, your
1: child. child. Yeah. And that's where it gets so hard because I believe, and I have friends, I have friends that have done international adoptions, and I believe that they are some of the most selfless people that I know. I have friends that have adopted children here from the U.S. and once again, some of the most selfless people that I know. So this podcast is not at all to shame, um, you know, those parents because they're they're doing exactly what it is that they feel is right. Um, but it's to the people who are behind the systems that corrupt to take advantage of people in their most vulnerable states. A lot of people that are going um, seeking to adopt children um, are people that can't have children on their own, mm-hmm. you know, and so they're vulnerable. They're, they 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 desire to be parents, and these adoption agencies and some of these um, corrupt adoption of agencies, they take advantage of, of the vulnerability of both populations, um, and so that's that's definitely a problem. Um, so, so in 2017, Ethiopia indefinitely suspended and banned all U.S. adoptions. Mm-hmm. In 2010, Russia did as well because we were taking Russian kids and doing all kind of crazy stuff. Um, and so a lot of countries have caught on to the fact that, okay, Americans are taking our children and we, we don't want that to happen anymore. Um, another really cool, fun, and very sad fact, um, so it's not fun, but it's a very sad fact is that. It was not until 1875 that the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children was formed. 1875. It was in 1873 that the New York Society for Prevention of Cruelty of Animals was formed. So we had a system set in place to 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 protect animals before we had a system set in place to protect children.
0: Sounds about right sounds like it's still the same <laughs> <clears throat> that's definitely that,
1: that. that's what's happening is that there was an organization and we still do th- and this is why like I know this is a whole different you know topic but like I don't give my money to charity for jo- for, for dogs I know you love dogs Kelly loves dogs you know I was going to say this that's why you're looking like that but there are more than enough children I, I have to you know I'll, I'll, I will adopt a dog though you will? Mm-hmm. after what? I adopt a child
0: you already adopted one
1: I want a baby I, never, I never want to adopt a baby
0: and then you adopt a dog I'll adopt a dog I think you should adopt a dog first then a baby
1: um <laughs> so so once again we're talking foster care and adoption so um if you've been listening for some time you heard that there are over half a million children that are in the foster care system um another really interesting stat uh a disheartening stat is that girls in foster care um that get pregnant by by 19 is 50 percent so half of girls that are that grow up in age out of the foster care system um half of them have children by the age of 19 um 74 percent of former foster children are in the u.s prison system and then 80 percent of former foster youth are on death row, um, or 80% of people on death row are former foster children. Let me make sure I say that correctly. Um, 50% of of children that age out of the foster care system will be incarcerated within two years of aging out. This is why that population is so, so important to catch these children before they turn 18 and age out um, because they have so many odds stacked up against them for when they turn 18 years old. Um, And so when we start talking about foster care and adoption, it is so important not just to focus on the babies. And I know that people focus on the babies all the time and we want to focus on them because I think it's very important for interventions um, to happen early on so that these babies are not re-traumatized over and over and over again. But it's also very important that we do not neglect the older children that seem like one, they're they're the hard cases, they're too far gone, um, they're rebellious, you know, I, I don't I don't want to foster or adopt those children because they need to be fostered or adopt adopted. And that that is a really touchy subject for me because my oldest daughter is twenty-two years old and she aged out of the foster care system. And I did not meet her until a few weeks before her 18th birthday. And had I said she's about to be an adult in two weeks, we would not have the relationship that we have and she would not have the family that she has. So it's very important when we start to talk about these older kids, you have to think these girls that are in foster care, they're going to need a dad to walk them down the aisle one day still. They're going to need somebody in that delivery room holding their hand, telling them to push and relax and breathe. You know, life doesn't stop after 18. There are so many other milestones that, that are to be reached after eighteen that they're still going to need a parent for. And so that was our that that is what played into our decision to adopt Jordan and to bring her into our family after she turned eighteen years old was the fact that she still has a lot of life to live. And she's still gonna need. She's still gonna need her babies
0: are gonna need grandparents.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. People don't think about that stuff when they just focus on adopting the babies. You know, and I think that once again that's important, adopt the babies, but let's not neglect the fact that the older kids need adoption too, and even if it's not like a a legal adoption, they need mentorship. You know, they need those forever connections, and that's what I really focused on with Manahouse. Is I want to help these girls form forever connections, and I believe that I did that with majority of the girls. They met somebody at Manahouse that they're still connected with today. Um, because that's in, that's important. Like it's scary. It's scary for kids in foster care when they have a job and January comes. They're like, where am I supposed to do my taxes? Like, what does this look like? Like th- those little things that we don't think about that we had a parent to tell us how to do those things, or did it for us, or did it for <laughs> us, right? Right. So, um, so yeah. So. There are a few different things like as we're talking, um, Kelly and I actually have on—we both have on shirts that say "Adopt." If you can't adopt, then foster. If you can't foster, then sponsor. If you can't sponsor, then volunteer. If you can't volunteer, then donate. If you can't donate, then educate.
0: And those shirts will be on sale on our um, Facebook and our website. So get you one, post it, tag us in it, and we'll shout you out. Yeah.
1: But the point of this shirt is to say that everybody is called to have some role in this fight,
0: right? Can I tell you something that, I'm not allowed to say this word so I'm going to say a different word, um that really made me angry the other day and I cried, Hmm. um so in Buffalo, New York, Ashley and I don't live in the same city, so um, uh, but in Buffalo, New York, on Main Street, there is a, an abortion clinic and I was driving past the abortion clinic either yesterday or the day before just got so upset that I just started to cry. Um, When I was 17 years old, I had an abortion at that same abortion clinic. And um, I remember one of the main things that I was really scared about is that all those people were going to be yelling at me. And um, a couple weeks before I had the abortion, the doctor from the abortion clinic was killed in Buffalo, New York. And I was just scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. And my parents didn't know I was pregnant. And my boyfriend's mother was taking me and I was just like so scared and I just thought that if people find out I was, gonna, I was pregnant that you know my dad he was in politics and in church I just had all these things in my mind that now I know that that was something that I could have talked to them about but at that time I just didn't know <laughs> and so um when I was driving past they had all these flyers and all these posters and they just out there and I'm like, first of all, these people probably don't even live in the city. Second, secondly, I really wanted to know, Ashley, like, how many of these people have adopted? Mm-hmm. I really wanted to know how many of these people were foster parents. So you're just gonna yell at us as we go into the uh, the adoption clinic? Obviously, we're there because we don't really feel like we have any other options. Right. And and it just really angered me because. A lot of these people's signs had, like, God on it or Jesus. And I just don't feel like that was love. I just don't feel like that's how Jesus loves. Mm-mm. And it really made me very sad for the people that are going in there. Would I, would I stand outside an abortion clinic? I think that I would, but I think that if I had a sign, it wouldn't read that. I think I would just have a table that just says, like, listen, I don't know what I would do. I don't even know. I never really gave it much thought. But it wouldn't be
1: that approach. <laughs>
0: you know, it wouldn't be that. Maybe, like i would make like maybe wear like something that says like can i hug you right i think like that's what i would do so whether or
1: you're still loved
0: (laughs) like you know something that lets them know like this is
1: this is not the decision that you know we would want but regardless of the decision that you make there's still redemption available and and that's what i really love there's an organization um that I went probably to, I think I went on like a vision tour that they had maybe three months ago. And that is, they're a pre-abortion, they offer pre-abortion services and it's a Christian organization. And actually at first, like I, I, because of my ignorance, I was like pre-abortion services, like Christians don't give abortion services, right? So I called them and I'm like, are y'all an abortion agency? And they're like, no, we're not. And so I signed up to go on a tour mainly because I was like, what, who are these people? What do they do? And as soon as I walked into that, that that clinic kelly i felt like the tangible love of jesus in that place and so i walked in and there's a bunch of other women and we're just going and they're taking us through the rooms that the women get their pre-abortion services and and just so for for people who might be like i was and like what is that pre-abortion services it's pregnancy tests std testing ultrasounds all those things that you have to have done before you get an abortion you have to verify the fact that you're you know pregnant all this stuff so that is all the stuff that this agency does but while they're doing it they have like these little things they do these little things Um, to kind of try to help the mother make a different decision. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's like instead of while we're doing the ultrasound, instead of turning the computer away from her so she doesn't see the baby, we actually turn it towards her and they have a screen and you can hear the heartbeat. And they were saying that, like, those type of things open up the door for them to talk to the mom about a different alternative. You feel a connection. Because you do feel the connection. Ooh. So, unlike Planned Parenthood, where it's like, okay, turn the volume down, turn the screen so that there's no connection made, this agency does the opposite to try to make the connection. And so, um, but at the same time, they are recruiting foster parents. They're recruiting adoptive parents. Um, they're helping wrap around support for moms who do decide to keep their child. So it's like, if you decide to keep your child, we have mentors waiting for you to walk you through this process. We'll get you, you know, because typically it's it's money. You know, that's the issue. Somebody feels like they can't provide for the baby, so we're going to help, you know, for whatever reason, um, that you want to have the abortion. We want to help if you decide to keep the baby. Yeah, I felt shame. That's why mm-hmm. I did
0: it. I felt shame, and then afterwards I felt guilt. Like I couldn't even talk to anybody for like a week. Yeah. I just cried and cried and cried. But... um it was something you said a while ago i think like when i first met you you were talking about how like what was that percentage like if people in churches were to adopt or foster yeah
1: yeah so um there are four million people that are touched by the child welfare system each year and then there are regularly on any given sunday there are 40 million people that attend the house of worship and so there, there is this. Um, there's an organization I sat on the board in, in Oklahoma called 111 Project, and it's if every church in America identified one family to adopt one child, then we would we would be able to to end children having to be you know in shelters or whatever, waiting for placements. Wow. And every child would have a home.
0: I know I learned something today. Yeah. But I think it's
1: really important for people to know that God's will. His 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 will, his because his will is perfect. His will is that family are restored. That that's the will. Um, but because of addiction, because of abuse, because of sin, because that, that's really what it is, because of sin, that doesn't always happen. And so foster care and an adoption is a provision made for that child. Mm-hmm. You know? And we have to remember that because I think we go in thinking, well adoption would be the will. No, adoption is not the will. The will was that the child would be restored with their biological parents. You're a, you're a provision. The Lord is bringing you as someone. A, you are a form of provision for that child. Mm. And so that's why I have a friend. Um, her name is Molly Shockley. Mm-hmm. White lady, like white lady. <laughs> and, um, and she has adopted four black kids. And I, when I say I admire Molly, because her, her stance, her position, her, and her heart the entire time is like none that I've ever seen when we're talking about adoptive parents. What makes her mm. different? Her difference is that, one, she loves the biological parents. She knew them. She loved them. She has a heart for them. She does not punish her children or make them feel as if they, they don't, um, that they love her less if they talk about their biological parents. Mm. Like, she, she has taken this humble position where if her child is crying at night saying, I miss Danny. Danny was a biological father who was an addict, and Danny died. But her, if her daughter is in the room saying, I miss Danny, she's not like, but I'm your mom. I'm your dad. You have a family that loves you. The response is, we miss Danny, too. Danny loves you. He does love you. You know, that, like, when when I would hear her tell me these stories, I'm like, this woman gets it. Like, she gets it. She would make statements like, you know... You have, you have two sets of parents. they both love you mm-hmm. you know I'm just the one that, that you get to live with right now because you know your other parents are they have some stuff to work on but we're all one big family. yeah and I remember her daughter um, she took her to another state where her biological mother lived for her birthday. like that was her birthday surprise to go see her biological mom. Aww. Like that like I think open adoption is the most beautiful display of Christ's love.
0: Why do you think people have close adoption? For safety. Yeah.
1: So there, there are two reasons. One, because I don't know that, that some people that do it, I think it's because they don't have the capacity um, to pour out all their love on a child and have to, quote unquote, share that, yeah. right? Um, and But some of it is safety. I remember sitting in, oh my God, I remember sitting in a courtroom with one of my girls that I love dearly, who I still talk to on a regular basis, and she was signing her rights off, her, her rights. Um, she was terminating her rights for her child is because she had gotten arrested um, for kidnapping him. And it was not kidnapping. She removed him. She did remove him, so by law, was kidnapping She, okay. she <laughs> removed him from a supervised visit. But it was because she felt as if he was being abused in his foster home. So it wasn't ill. And then she took him to the DHS. Like, she took him to the place, right? So it ain't like she took him, and it was on a high-speed chase. She took him right back to the caseworker, and so I remember standing in that room, and I remember when she put her signature on that that document that that um, released her from all parental rights. And I remember there was a a scream, a cry that came out that I've never heard before. It was she has there was so much pain attached to her making that decision. And I remember having a conversation with the adoptive mom before, and we had agreed that she was going to do an open adoption with her, and she hasn't followed through with it she won't return her phone calls she won't do anything like that and i think that that's extremely selfish um because there's no harm in emailing her back and saying they're doing well this is your son's favorite color these are the football games that he's played and he's won you know like sharing those moments and so her, her defense, like she's always saying it's safety reasons or whatever, but some of the stuff that it, it's not, it's not a safety concern, but there are some real safety concerns. And if I was to adopt a child and their parents were addicts or their parents came to their birthday parties drunk or high, I would absolutely put all kind of boundaries up.
0: Yeah. I have, um, a friend who works as a foster care worker and, um, She made a policy in their office like that they need like armed guards sometimes because when you remove children from the home, sometimes those parents are like, I'm going to kill you Mm -hmm. or something like that, you know, so just to protect yourself. And I mean, um, like her, like she changed her name on social media and everything because the mom that adopted, no, no, no. The social care, the social worker, uh the social care worker, Mm -hmm. because sometimes like parents are really upset that their child has been removed from this, from their home. Even if it's, um, even if it's uh, a dangerous situation, um, that I had, I just recently had another friend who walked away um, from that, from that, um, that career path. Um, she still works with foster children, but um, unfortunately, you know, the, a child got hurt um, and killed, yeah. and so it was just too much for her to bear. So I think that we need to not just pray for the children, but for all the workers. Um, the foster parents, adoptive parents, I, I think that everybody
1: involved, the yeah. judges, yeah. everybody involved. Because it's not, that's, that's a hard system to navigate. And it's not cookie cutter. And there's not one blueprint where we say, hey, this is how adoption should look. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's every case is so different. Um, and I've, I've been on, at this point, I've been on every side of the fence. Wow. I, I don't, either, I've been on every side. I've seen the mom release the rights. I've seen I've been a part of the foster I've been the foster parent of the child whose parents' rights were being terminated. Wow. You know, um, and I have found an ounce of compassion for every single person involved. I think that's a big thing. Including the the parents. Yeah. It's, it's, it's and that's what I've learned. It's never what it seems. You can read the paper and it can it can absolutely paint the parents out to be villains and then you meet them and you're like man this is not what it seemed this is a traumatized adult Mm -hmm. who had no idea what they were getting themselves into you know I think the same
0: thing with the woman that's um Centoya Brown who's been trafficked Mm -hmm. she was in foster care then she was adopted um but from what I've learned like her her mom was also traumatized and then she brought a daughter into that same situation
1: well, this was definitely a great conversation um, here at, at with Activism and Revival. We try to always make sure that we give a call to action. We don't want to just release a whole bunch of um, information and then just say, all right, now that we've talked about foster care and adoption and corruption and all this stuff, God bless you. Um, we want to give you some practical ways. Um, to come alongside us in this fight. So, the first one is to get involved in, initiative, in initiatives that focus on restoring families and children. Um, we're talking about becoming a mentor. Um, I've recently volunteered with the local um, CASA here in Rochester, Monroe County. CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates, and that's for um, children and families. And so, what that is, is that you get a case. Like, it's really, it, it almost feels kind of like being an attorney, but it's, it's not. Um, but I have, I have a caseload of three. So um, my 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 job is to defend the best interests of that child, and so I spend time with the attorneys. I spend time with everybody associated with the family um, to try to make a judgment and, and to discern what is the best interest of the child. Uh, the attorney represents um, what the child wants. The CASA represents what's the best interest of the child, and so um, CASA is nationwide. That's an organization that you can get involved with like kelly said earlier you can join the fight uh, against abortion that is that is a way to directly impact this this um this this crisis you know, it's, it's, it's more than just saying, hey, people should not have abortions, but it's also saying, hey, let me work alongside organizations that are um, helping raise awareness about foster care, adoption, resources for parents. Um, another thing that we can do is we can move past our judgments and begin to support biological families. Um, when we see that there is a young mother or a father um, that are, they're struggling in being able to nurture and take care of their children, come alongside them. Um, don't wait until CPS gets involved. To decide to move in compassion when you see it start to say hey, you know I really want to wrap around this family and support them we should look for we should look for avenues to prevent this from ever even getting to CPS um, and then another thing you do is support a, a foster or adoptive family I was a foster parent for four years I have fostered over 25 girls ages 15 uh, up to 18 and um, one of the things that that helped me be a foster parent an effective foster parent was the fact that I had so much support from my family my friends and my church community and so I remember as a foster parent coming home from work and having retired women in the kitchen cooking and their husbands mm-hmm. outside mowing my lawn and that was helpful um Seriously. I I've had people um sort certi- become certified to be respite for me and they will come and get my girls to take them to the movies while I took a nap Um, And so, you know, finding a foster or adoptive parent that you see um, has answered the call and come alongside to support them because we need foster, we need adoptive families um, and we need for them not to burn out. And so one of the things I always say is not everybody is called to be a foster or adoptive parent, but everybody is called to do something. Um, And so that goes from supporting and and, and praying for um, biological families to supporting and praying for foster and adoptive families and also find a way to bless a child welfare worker like these people are they're heroes i don't care what people say about mm-hmm. them okay um i i listen I, I i will i'll go to war for cps workers because i think that they are overworked they're undervalued underappreciated and when, when one thing goes wrong they are blasted horribly absolutely and and um most of us could not couldn't do what these people have been doing um i couldn't do it for a week let alone some of these some have been doing it for 20 30 years um, so support them, you know. Get get one of them a massage envy card. Let them go relax or something. Listen, okay. Um, so my biggest thing: identify all the parties involved and figure out who and how you can support and love on these people. Um, look, God calls us. He calls us um, to loving the widow, loving the orphans, and and I, I try not to, and I don't like using the the language around the least of these, even though Scripture does say that they are the least of these, and it's not in terms of their value is less than but it's the least of these because they're vulnerable um and so our our position is to take the least of these and turn them into the redeemed um and so identify a child when you see a child that's struggling don't just turn your eyes um you know begin to really love and 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 make that connection every child needs a champion every child needs a champion um a a, a adult in their life that will not give up on them that will challenge them that will love them where they're at and not put our place our standards on them Um, but anyways that's my soapbox i could go on and start preaching about this for (laughs) another 10 minutes um but we thank you guys so much for tuning in to activism and revival and um we look forward to
0: our next podcast. Um, yeah. You want to tell them
1: what the next podcast is going to be on, Kelly? Nope. You got to tune in. <laughs> you got to tune
0: in for that. But make sure that y'all head over to our website and to our Facebook page so that you can also rock one of these shirts that we are. Um, and that, go ahead, that supports a Care Portal initiative that Ashley has started um, in Rochester, New York. And hopefully it'll come to cities all over the United States. And that basically connects the church to social services services. Uh, which meets the needs of families in the community. So that is a way that the church can answer the call to help. So I love all of you. Ashley does too. And until next time, let's keep fighting for justice.